Today on ComTalk for Red Riding Geek, we're taking a look at the Marvels Project. Rogue signal intercepted. Signal designation. Bees, views, and reviews. Signal host. Branson Boykin. Initiating ComTalk. Hey guys, welcome to Bees, Views, and Reviews, the podcast that promotes faith-based, family-friendly comics and the creators that make them. Brought to you by Geek Devotions, a show by devoted geeks devoted to letting you know that you were loved. I'm B, and today we are participating in this month's theme, Red, White, and Geek, where we take a look at some patriotic properties and the spiritual truths within them. Today we'll be discussing The Marvels Project, written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Steve Epting. Now, it's not normal that I cover a mainstream comic on this show. Normally I'd prefer to promote the indie guys, you know, the guys who are up and coming, especially some of these guys who are my personal friends. But I had a, a scheduling conflict, and so I was looking for uh, something to cover, and I came across the Marvel's Project, and I was really excited. Uh, the reason I feel like it fits the red, white, and geek theme is because this is the golden age of Marvel Comics. Now, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with some of the terminology here, when I talk about the golden age of comics, I'm talking about the mid-30s to early 40s, the very beginning of the entire concept of a superhero comic book. I'm talking Siegel and Schuster writing Superman and drawing Superman and putting it out there and people going, wow, what's this? And then later with Bob Kane and Bill Finger putting out Batman and people going, wow, what is this? Okay, we're talking about the concept of a superhero is brand new. And the cool thing, one of the things I appreciate the most about the golden age of comics is that it is a time where we, the superhero was an iconic figure. They were an icon of morality. They were an icon of what humanity was supposed to be. Uh, the villains were usually criminal underbosses or, or things of that nature. The concept of a supervillain hadn't yet fully been developed. So these were crime fighters. Some of them didn't have superpowers. They just put on a mask and went and, and fought crime. But it's one of the most patriotic properties I've ever seen or, or, or properties that, that, that come out of this time period. Because like I said, it's, it's going on pre-World War II and then on into World War II. So during this time, there was a lot of, of patriotism in the comics. You know, you'll see Superman uh, going overseas to fight Nazis. This is when the superhero Captain America was created by Jack Kirby. So this, is the, this whole concept of a star-spangled hero came here. And, and it's it's a very idyllic time for comic books because our superheroes were superheroes. I mean, they were people that we look up to. Now, that's not to say I don't appreciate the occasional vigilante, the occasional anti-hero, the occasional rough around the edges, flawed character that we relate to in our struggles. But this was a time where your superheroes were heroic. I mean, these were the kind of guys that would stand up on a mountain and wave the American flag. And so because of that, I feel like this really fits well into the theme of red, white, and geek. Now, the uh, the Marvel's Project, like I said, it's a story from the golden age of Marvel Comics. It's told through the eyes of a character named Dr. Thomas Holloway. Dr. Thomas Holloway is also known as the crime fighter, the Angel. The Angel is, he's like a, a Batman type of the Marvel Comics. He's a he's a street level uh, superhero. He's got a big red cape, wears a mask. Uh, I think in some iterations he carries guns on his hips, but he's just a simple 
beat him up crime fighter. He's going to go fight the organized crime. He's going to find the Nazi spies, uh, that kind of thing. The where the story picks up, Dr. Thomas Holloway is being uh, told all these fantastic stories by one of his patients who dies of old age. And he leaves Dr. Holloway a gift. And that gift is a mask and a double set of pistols. And Dr. Holloway realizes that this old man that he had been treating was actually the two gun kid who was a character that he read about in books as a child and was so excited to be. And so here Dr. Holloway is given this, this present from this hero. I mean, it would be the akin of, of like Spider-Man leaving behind to, to someone, his web shooters or, or Batman leaving his utility belt. And so Dr. Way, Holloway is sitting there with the mask and the guns of his childhood hero. And this kind of sparks an idea in his head and he decides to fight crime. He, he decides that he's had enough of, of, of police not being able to solve crimes. He's had enough of Nazis infiltrating their city. He's had enough. You know, he just says enough is enough. And so he takes to the streets to fight crime. And so do other people that, that he's associated with, like the Phantom Bullet and uh, a couple of other guys. While all this is going on, we have two professors who are designing an android. An unexpected thing is that when the android is exposed to oxygen, he sets on fire. This is where we get the original Human Torch. And so with the coming of the Human Torch, we see this idea of the superhuman introduced. And when people see this Human Torch spectacle, they start thinking, wow, okay, it's not enough to just be this regular guy. We've got this whole concept of superpowers now. In walks Professor Erskine from Nazi Germany, who is working on a super soldier serum. And for those of you who are familiar with Golden Age superheroes at all, you know this is what leads to the birth of Captain America. So the whole story is about this, this juxtaposition of street-level heroes fighting crime and ferreting out Nazi spies while the concept of the superhero begins to develop. And what we essentially see is it's almost turns into an origin story of the team, the invaders and the invaders is like a precursor to the Avengers. It's Nazi fighting team of superhumans who, who stand against evil. We see uh, Prince Namor from Atlantis come in and make, make several guest appearances. We see the red skull. It's just a wonderful, good old fashioned beat up the bad guy. Nazis are bad adventure. Now it's, you know, it's not hokey. I don't want to give the impression that it's one of the, your, you know, your Saturday morning, be nice to everybody, public service announcements. It, it has its moments. It has its gray areas. For example, one of the Nazi spies, uh, when he dies, they find a letter that he's written to his wife. And it's basically talking about how much he misses his wife and how much he wishes he could go home. But his dedication to the fatherland, to Germany, makes him stay in the United States. So there are some shades of gray in there. But it's rare, especially nowadays, to have a book where you genuinely just feel really good rooting for the good guy and you feel really good watching the bad guy lose. And that's what I find so refreshing about this story. People have accused me of having an old soul before. Well, this story, this graphic novel scratches that itch. It makes me feel old in a good way. It, you know, I, I want to sit next to the fireplace and my lazy boy read this comic and, and sip a cup of tea and, you know, just just embrace the whole idea of this of this iconic era where the hero 
was someone to be looked up to. Uh, like I said, it takes us back to a time when patriotism wasn't so complicated. The good guys usually wore some version of red, white, and blue or some kind of mixture. Uh, the bad guys wore swastikas. I mean, that's that's how it was back then. Nazis were bad guys. That, that's just how it was. Uh, as I said, we see a seamless, seamless integration of the origin stories of the invaders. It's all just a wonderful picture of the golden age of comic books and, and something that that sometimes I find myself yearning for. So if, if you're like me and you have an appreciation for those old times, uh, this is a great one to pick up. It, it doesn't feel hokey. Like I said, it doesn't feel like it's a, a public service announcement. It's not preachy by any means. If you know me for any length of time, you know that that's one of my big issues with, with uh, even modern comics is when they get too preachy. If I want to hear a sermon, I'll go to church on Sunday. When I read a comic book, I want to read a good story. Uh, so it is not preachy. But it just takes us back to a time where things seemed simpler, where good was good, bad was bad, right and wrong, had clear definitions, and you you didn't have these moral quandaries of am I on the right side or not. You were a superhero. Of course you're on the right side. Moving forward. And uh, it was refreshing to, to read a story that was like that. A lot of big characters in this story, like I said, in this story, we see the birth of Captain America. We see the human, the original Human Torch come into play. We see Prince Namor, the Red Skull. Um, Nick Fury makes an appearance before he loses his eye, before he becomes a member of the Howling Commandos, which was really cool to watch. Uh, but of all the characters, the one that I'm most astonished with, the one that I was drawn to the most, was actually the Angel, Dr. Thomas Holloway, the main character. And one of the reasons I was drawn to him is he decides to become a hero not because of a tragedy, not because of something bad happening in his life, but simply because he sees a need and he decides, you know what? I'm going to go do something about it. I've got this mask. I've got these guns. I can put together a costume. The cops at best need a help, helping hand. At worst, they're not doing their job. I can do something about it. So he gets up and he goes and he does it. Now, like I said, the character has Batman vibes to it. He's often seen scouring the rooftops and crouching down and looking over stuff. When he, uh, you know, when he fights, he fights several guys at a time and tries to scare them into giving him information. But where he diverges from Batman is that this isn't born out of some quest for vengeance against evil. This isn't born because, oh, someone was, someone killed a loved one back in, my childhood and now I'm trying to get back at them. You know, this isn't the, Oh, I, you know, I'm trying to undo this tragedy that it's happened to my life. It is purely a, you know what? The world's messed up and there's something I can do about it. So I'm going to go do it. And I appreciate that. I enjoy that. I enjoy the concept of superheroes being superheroes simply because they're heroic, not because they've, they've got a broken past. They're trying to get past or because they're, serving penance for mistakes they've made, but simply because, hey, I have it within my ability to make the world a better place. So I'm going to go do it. And because this is a comic book, I'm going to put on a mask to do it and look cool doing it. And I just, I love that. I love that about a character who wants to do good for no other reason than simply the desire to do good. As I said, it's it's something that we just don't see much anymore. We want our heroes to have 
tragic backstories. We want our heroes to be complicated. We want them to wrestle with the moral ambiguity of their actions. But this isn't it. This is simply a, hey, I'm a good guy. I can do good things. So I'm going to get up off my butt and go do good things. And, and, And like I said, this isn't to knock those other kinds of stories. There's a place for them and I enjoy them too. But when the market is oversaturated with flawed, morally gray heroes making morally gray decisions, it is refreshing to have a pure stand-up, I'm the good guy because I'm the good guy kind of story. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the artwork and some other things I noticed and whether or not this book is going to be considered family-friendly. We'll see you after the break. All right. So what we like to do here on the Retro Rewind podcast is at the end of our like section, we do our classic makers, the things that we loved most about the movies we cover. I'll start us off. Then we'll go to Paul. The thing I loved most about The Princess Bride was probably the the dueling sword scene between Inigo and uh, and, and uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, Wesley. That's just such a great sword fight scene. I love that they use the actual fencing, like terminology and techniques. And yeah. the the only little quibble I have is when Wesley oh, does his perfect. spinning. Talking about his, the best sword fight scene ever. Yes, but when Wesley does his gymnastics high bar routine and land you can see the 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 pillow bag or the the mat puff up with the dust you see the outline of it so it's not perfect but that is that is my favorite part about princess bride how about you paul i my favorite thing about the princess bride is the movie the princess bride i just love that it exists i love the story i love the characters i love the cast i i love the interaction it's it's just a great, it's one of my top favorite films of all time. So I like but, the whole movie. Paul, how can that be yeah. your top movie when as good as that sword fight is between Wesley and uh and Inigo, I feel like the one between Inigo and the Six Finger Man should be even more epic and it's sort of like isn't no, isn't no. as good. It's not better. No, that it, it will be less because Wesley's better, so therefore that fight would be better. All right, fine. You know what? All right, well, I guess, but now we do have to talk about, oh, darn it, I always do this. How come I cannot remember one more thing I liked? Calm Talk by Geek Devotions. You're listening to it right now. Palms returning to normal stasis in three, two, one. Welcome back to Bees Using Reviews, where we are taking a look at the Marvels Project, written by Ed Brubaker and drawn by Steve Epting. Now, as far as the artwork goes, one of the things I noticed is that the use of color is a way of cluing the reader in to the kind of characters that are in the scene. I'll explain to you what I mean. When we're following the Nazi spies, there are a lot of grays, a lot of browns, a lot of shadows and subdued characters. The, the, the color palette almost seems kind of muted, not very bright, not very vibrant. When we're following generals or soldiers on the war front, very dark greens, uh, a couple of browns here and there, not a lot of vibrant color. Uh, when we're following private eyes and private investigators who are looking into things, grays, browns, a lot of 
dirty colors or muddy colors. But when the Human Torch shows up, his costume is a bright, vibrant red. And when he activates his flames, they are a bright, vibrant yellow and red and orange. I mean, it, it, it's like the page glows. Steve Rogers, when he's just a scrawny kid, greens, grays, browns, he puts on that suit for the first time. That is the brightest blue I've ever seen, the, the deepest red I've ever seen, and that white shines. Every time we see a normal character in this story, it's very muted colors, very, very subtle, very dirty, muddy colors that kind of fade back. When a superhuman shows up, a true superhero, someone who has superpowers, the colors are vibrant, the colors are bright, and they practically leap off the page. The first time we see Dr. Thomas Holloway don the angel outfit, it is a bright red and a deep blue and a shining golden yellow. Every time a superhero steps in, it is bright, it is vibrant, and it sets him apart from the rest of the world. I think, I don't know for sure, but I think this was deliberate because it accents the fact that this is the dawn of a new age. This is the dawn of the superhero. This is the time when kids aren't going to be talking about cowboys and Indians. They're not going to be talking about cops and robbers. They're going to be talking about superheroes and supervillains. It's the start of something new. So every time we see someone who is larger than life or who is fantastic or who is superhuman, he is colored or she is colored in that light, in this bright, vibrant light that brings a beacon of hope to an otherwise dull, gray, dreary world. And I appreciated so much that that is how they, that, how they did it. I mean, like I said, it, it clues the reader in into, okay, this is someone who's important. This is someone who's larger than life. But even beyond that, it just, it gives the book a feel of larger than lifeness. I mean, when I see the human torch walking down the street in his outfit and that bright red is showing, it's obvious he's different by more than just his physique, by more than just his height or the way he talks. He just looks different from all the other characters. Same thing with Captain America, with Bucky, with the angel. They just look different. And I love that. Once again, hearkening back to that whole concept of our heroes are iconic. They stand as these, these paragons of morality and goodness they literally shine a beacon of hope in an otherwise dreary world. And I love that. The other thing I noticed about the uh, artwork is the deep use of shadows. It gave it a very, very film noir, hard-boiled detective story. I mean, the, the shadows were deep. Very little use of, of um, shading. I mean, it was either you saw the color or it was in shadow. And... Personally, I like that because I tend to I tend to gravitate towards artwork that makes use of shadows a lot. You know, I, I, I almost appreciate a black and white comic, like a comic that is designed for black and white as much, if not more, as I do a, a color comic because I love the use of shadows. And, and Steve Epting did that with this story. I mean, the 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 Nazi spies, they're meeting in in crowded hall in uh, hallways and alleyways, you see the deep shadows on their faces. When when uh, Captain America puts the suit on for the first time and he gets backlit, the the front of his face is in shadow. 
because of the light streaming down. I mean, it was, it was a excellent, expertly done. And I absolutely love that. So I love the use of shadows. So the use of color and shadow was, was really, really a, a, a draw for me for this book. Now, the question of, is it family friendly? I will say this, considering this is a book about World War II, complete with soldiers behind enemy lines shooting people, considering the fact that there is murder in this book, that uh, people die, there are people who are burned, this could have been a lot bloodier than it was. It was very, very toned down, which I appreciated. The bloodiest it ever really got, there is a scene where a Nazi spy stabs a private investigator. You see the knife sticking out of his chest, and his shirt has a red stain where the knife is sticking out. That's honestly as bloody as it got. I, you know, you see guys get shot, there's no blood splatter. You see guys get punched and knocked out and thrown over, there's no broken bones, there's no dislocated joints. It's it's very, very toned down for what it could have been, which I appreciate. There is one scene in a scientist's lab where they have what looks like body parts suspended on hooks. It looks like a, a rib cage of a creature that's kind of dangling. So that's a little bit intense. But again, it's 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 deep in shadow. You kind of have to you kind of have to look really hard to kind of get what you're looking at. It's not a main part of the picture. But it is there. Language is very, very mild. We occasionally had a use of the D word, and that's about as as deep as it went. Absolutely no nudity, no sexual content anywhere in the book. Given the fact that it is violent, because people do get shot and there are fight scenes, and the lab scene can be graphic for some people if you don't want to see rib cages suspended by hooks, I would give this a, a preteen and up mark, maybe 10 years old and up. Some of the scenes, parents may be a little iffy if they want their younger children to see. But all in all, I would I would say preteen and up. Ultimately, that decision is up to you, parents. Uh, but I would, I definitely think you don't have to be thirteen to read it. I think a ten year old can handle it. But that is ultimately up to you. You know your kids better than me. Now, while this book was not directly written to be faith based, it was written to be part of the Marvel universe. It wasn't written to be a Christian book, so to speak. But there is a parallel to spirituality that I want to point out that that stood out to me as I read this story. As I said, this is through the story. This is through the point of view of Dr. Thomas Holloway, who is the crime fighter known as the angel. Matthew 18.3 says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling his disciples that the greatest among them will have to have the faith of a child. Now, what's great about the faith of a child is they don't need proof. They don't need you to prove that you know what you're talking about. If they trust you and you say something, they just believe it. If a child believes you and believes that what you're telling them is true and you say the sky is actually green, we just think it's blue, they believe you. And they will argue tooth and nail to anyone who tells them differently because my daddy said or my mom said or my best friend said. And what Jesus is saying is that if you're going to follow me, if you're going to be the greatest in my kingdom... You have to have that kind of faith. You have to take me at my word simply because I said so. Jesus, in talking to the doubting Thomas, said, You have believed because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe who have not seen 
You believe because you've seen the scars on my hands. You see where the nails went. You see me here resurrected alive. Blessed are those who believe simply because they've heard. What's great about the angel, what's great about Dr. Holloway is that that is the kind of faith he has in becoming a superhero. Rather than sit there and debate the legalities of his actions or his dangers, he just simply has an attitude of something needs done. I'm here. I'm going to go do it. And he just leaps out into the night. You know, he, he doesn't take time to worry about, well, I mean, what happens if I get caught or, you know, I, I could tick off the wrong person. He doesn't worry about any of that. He simply leaps out into the night and goes. And that's the kind of faith that we have to have in Christ. When Christ says, hey, hey, go do that. We need to have that childlike kind of faith that says, okay, I don't know how this is going to work, but you know what? We're going to do it. We're going to absolutely do it. And that's the kind of faith that we're supposed to have. And that's the kind of faith that Thomas Holloway exhibited when he decided to put on a mask and become a superhero. He said, you know what? This needs doing. I'm here. I'm going to go do it. All right, guys, like I said, the Marvel Pro the Marvel's Project is written by Ed Brubaker with art done by Steve Epting. Uh, you can get your co copy anywhere comics are sold. Uh, I would recommend doing somewhere like Amazon or somewhere like that because this is a little bit of a dated project. It's been out for a little while, so uh, you may have to check back issues. I would recommend getting the graphic novel collection because it has covers in there, uh, some beautiful, beautiful artwork. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to follow Geek Devotions on all of our social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the whole nine yards. Also, be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast catchers and leave reviews. We'd like to hear feedback. Until next time, stay devoted. Peace and love.